0: Ready? Hey everybody! Hey, folks! Hello, everybody! People in the back! Hi. Welcome, everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Welcome, everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're working, yeah, I'm ready. We're we're gonna get started. <clears throat> <clears throat> Welcome to The Inner Loop Radio. I'm Courtney Sexton. And I'm Rachel Koontz. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org. For any new listeners out there, here
1: on The Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living... What is that?
0: Uh, Or how we all just sit down. It's funny is what it is. (laughs)
1: Each day in front of an empty
0: page or blank screen.
1: Or... Womp womp.
0: White wall. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Sometimes we play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series. Other times we invite those writers as well as other members of the community to join our discussion. On today's show, we want to talk about...
1: Ooh, fortune telling. <laughs> that was my attempt at being spooky because Close. tis the season.
0: We and harmonized
1: there. We did. I think we, our vocals were pretty good on that one. <laughs> um But I'm not talking about like actual fortune telling, even though you know I'm, I'm into Aren't that you? sort of thing. Aren't I mean, you? I mean, kind we of. We all I have am. tarot decks here. Let's just it's be real. True. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, it is. You know, communion with spirit oh man, yeah, there's some spirits I want to talk to right now. But anyway, um <laughs> sidetrack, sidebar, <laughs> sidebar. If anyone out there wants to talk to me about that, you if know, if you where could to talk to any me. dead
0: writer, who would it be? Ooh.
1: Just dropping that in your lap out oh, of the blue. Man, <laughs> that was you just threw me off. Oh, oh my god. That's so hard. You're How could you even serious. just pick one? That's that's not even what We can only like? pick one. Just one forever and always.
0: Yes. I would pick, I would do Faulkner. I know it's cheesy, but I'm no, the No, you know South, I love him. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I feel like he really managed to capture the South while still being like, you know, uh, progressive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even though the South doesn't tend to be progressive, generally. Yeah. That's all I got. Ah. Uh, I stumped her. <laughs> That's really hard. <sighs> You could come back to that Let me question. come back to it. Let me think on that one.
1: Let me think <laughs> Let on that one. it marinate. One. It'll come. Uh, we'll come back at the end. Um, but what I really want to think <laughs> and talk about <laughs> today to talk about, um, is how writing can make us or can be prescient and reflective at the same time.
0: Because, mm-hmm. well, first of all, history repeats itself. So yeah. It's super easy if you're being reflective to be prescient at the same time, right? Is it, though? <laughs> How reflective are you being? <laughs> really? No, but
1: you're like you're you're touching on it there, right? Because the past was once the future, and I th- I've been thinking about this a lot in the context of the pandemic, of course. Um, for anyone paying anybody t-
0: 1918 Spanish flu? No, no, I no. Like I mean, is cl- a re- repetition of the past,
1: but I mean, like closer than that, right? So, like, for anyone actually paying attention, fortune telling is not that hard. And yeah. by fortune telling, maybe I mean future telling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking read about the yeah, read the freaking room read the people. people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm thinking about Ed Young, who is um, a really great science writer and editor. I think he's I think he's still with the Atlantic right now, the science uh, editor for the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. He had a story in Best American Science Writing in 2019, so it was written in 2018. Essentially, it was coming back from the Ebola. Outbreak mm-hmm. in Africa,
0: and oh yeah, all the epidemiologists saw this. But hey. he's not even an epidemiologist. He's just like I'm a writer. <laughs> he's just a guy. I'm a writer who pays <laughs> attention to things. Who, like, looked over at this issue, was like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah. But in his
1: essay, it's crazy because he outlines like he's like, okay, this happened. Now, if this were to happen in America, given the context today, mm-hmm. here is step by step all of the things. As they would happen. Oh, and it okay. was like 2020, March 2020 came and it was like a freaking manual.
0: Really? I
1: went back through his essay and was I was it just like,
0: like, did he predict the political divide?
1: Totally. Political stuff, the healthcare crisis. I mean, the like supply crisis, like all of these things that were just like, again, if you're paying attention and you see how things go down, it shouldn't have been a shocker to anyone. Yeah. And I say this, I use him as an example because he's a writer.
0: <laughs> right. That no, this is a fascinating topic that the idea that, you know, the deeper you dig into something, the clearer you can see into the future. you see things that everybody, anybody could see if they were, right, as you say, paying attention.
1: Because it's and and I get that that is hard to do in when you're living your day to day life. Right. We're caught up in in momentary. Well, things, also, but, there's
0: like a thousand things that you could pay. Well, attention there's to. that also. <laughs> there's so, so many things happening in this big, wide world. Well, right. So what is you know, is
1: that should that be part of our job as writers? And it yes. does it kind of even if we're not consciously thinking about it. So, OK, so that's a science writer I'm talking about so of course you know maybe that's something he's a you know a reporter a journalist maybe that's more in the the wheelhouse mm-hmm. right but for people who are strictly creative writers or fiction writers or something like that is that happening in their brain anyway as we process things and start writing like are we not even realizing that we're setting a stage i think there's something about that mm-hmm. right like zeitgeist that stuff comes alive on the page that then you look back and you're like, wow, that was so like 1984 or like whatever. It was like, that right. was so.
0: <sighs> yeah. So much sci-fi. I was just the, all the sci-fi novels were going through my mind. Like yeah. how much of it seems like future telling. Uh, right. Because again, I think they're looking at the technology. They're looking at sure. what's actually possible. What people know is possible. And they're just waiting for a breakthrough that will eventually come. And then, and then it takes the writer to imagine, like, the human being in that environment.
1: Exactly right. There, I think our role is to think about human nature. Yeah. Right.
0: All the time. Anytime. Right. No matter what you write about. Like, right. All writers are preoccupied with human nature. I think.
1: Um, I was thinking specific, like, sci-fi. Of course, comes up as like the obvious totally. one, right? But I was thinking about memoir, also mm-hmm. in nonfiction, and. How do we like to take it down to a more micro level by like reawakening and reimagining the past, mm. kind of write our own futures mm-hmm. in ways? Well, like,
0: when I said history repeats itself, I didn't just mean global history. Yeah, I mean personal histories too. So the more you dig into the past, the more you like you uh, are informed about the present. And sure, you can totally predict the future if you can face it. I mean that's the other thing that writers are always having to do that other people not don't necessarily have to do is that they have to be willing to face really hard, yeah. difficult truths. Truth. That you know it takes takes some serious like working out. Like I'm just imagining a really <laughs> muscly person and like bring it, bring it. I want I want to know <laughs> and then it like mm. blasts them and then they're like a little puny thing at the end. And yeah, that's what writing is like. <laughs>
1: Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> writing memoirs, like um Well, but I guess more what I mean is like, yes, you're facing the truth, but does it at some point become a self-fulfilling prophecy also?
0: Well I know. I I have lots of feelings about this. I (laughs) I thought you might about um you know the stories we tell ourselves exactly who we are. So exactly how you remember that thing that happened to you in high school. Totally, are you the victim or are you the hero? Right. However you remember it, that's how you mold. And that's going to impact
1: your actions
2: in the future. (laughs) Exactly
0: because it decides who you are. Like, am I you know someone who is constantly like. Like getting bad luck, and I'm always down, and I'm always getting beaten up, or you know, then you will continue that narrative regardless of what actually happens in the future. So, I I have lots of feelings (laughs) about the stories we tell about ourselves. I think we should be very careful, very very cognizant about the stories we tell because memoir is not facts; it's a story that you tell.
1: Yeah, nonfiction is a hard genre to pin down, and I mean, you know. Give fiction its due, too, right? Because, yeah. I mean, that's just the truth couched in.
0: It's just hidden a little bit. Maybe, kind Which of. Which maybe, like, allows them to be more truthful because they don't sure. have to, like, admit that it's them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so here's here's a thing. Here's, like, a big question. By writing something, and uh, in any genre, discipline, whatever,
0: <laughs>
1: does it automatically then make it real? Does it come to life in I some think way? it does. Does it make I it think inevitable? It does,
0: because Here's the thing. I like wrote a 250 page like memoir and and my memories of what happened are now the stories. Right. So whatever original memory I had, I like exercised it. And as soon as I put it into words, now that's the only version that exists.
1: And that keeps getting retold.
0: And I can't even remember it honestly the original way anymore. Most of the stories I can't even remember. Now I'm old. I'm like almost 40. Like these things happened when I was 13. That was like you know, yeah. 20 years ago. I actually don't remember them anymore like I did 10 years ago when I started the stories. And so the stories is sure. the thing that it's is It's like real. living,
1: pulsing, real.
0: And it's real. And like you say, it's the thing that will then be passed on from right. generation to generation, hopefully. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's... It's it feels almost like a tremendous weight when you think about writing in those terms. Yeah, but also is. a power.
0: I mean, that's the other thing. Like any writer has to be balanced. Yeah. So when you first write something down, especially a nonfiction writer, it's all from your perspective. It's right. Very right. Weighted. Right. Um, but through the editing process, you realize because it becomes a it 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 gets a life of its own. And it becomes something outside of you, and it starts just feeding your on the other
1: things in yeah. the universe around you.
0: Yes, yes, I totally believe that it takes on a life of its own. It's not a part of you anymore. It's outside you, kind of like having a baby. Oh, okay, please no. Yes, I'm gonna
1: go. <laughs> She's there.
0: going I'm there again. I'm <laughs> going there. But like when I first had my daughter, she very much felt like a part of me. Like she was right. just an extension of myself. Sure. Very hard to articulate, but it was just a feeling. No, I think that's pretty. Like, no matter where she was, she was a part of me and like everything she did and said, like I was the only one who could interpret it. Mm-hmm. So it was like this, you know, union. And then the more she grows, the more she seems like a separate thing and not just, not just like she's getting more independent, but like she's a whole other being that I'm like, oh, who are you? What do you like? I don't know who you are. Like, I need to get to know you. Do where you talk to your manuscripts? I do. <laughs> <laughs> this yes, so that's exactly no, I know, what it's right? like my stories. Like once I get it out, I'm like, what are you? What are you trying to say? Like what? What's the deeper meaning here? Because it's not just for the purpose of telling what happened to me, right? It's about right, exactly. getting at the human condition. Yeah. So not only are we oh, predicting cool. <laughs> the future, but we're also.
1: Creating life. <laughs> Whoa, now guys, I mean, who knew listen, that writers had we such all know power? Have giant egos. So <laughs> I just feel like this is a natural
0: extension of
1: that. Absolutely. Well, listen, let's take uh, a little deeper into the archives of the future. Coming up, we're gonna chat with Meg Eden about her new collection, Drowning in the Floating World, which I just love that title. <laughs> Uh, So stay tuned. Gather. Gather. Gather for you. Um, You can gather in. Gather round, gather round for the second half.
0: We're gonna get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing
2: you this
1: time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been discussing how writers explore the past, present, and future, sometimes all at once. And now we'd like to welcome Meg Eden to offer her perspective.
0: Meg is the author of five poetry chapbooks and her most recent collection Drowning in the Floating World was released in 2020 from Press 53. Meg is also being featured this month in our Author's Corner campaign. Welcome Meg. Thanks so much for having
2: me.
1: Thanks for being here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Um Meg, I was actually hoping that you might read a few poems from the collection first uh, so that our listeners can get a taste before we continue our scintillating discussion. (laughs) Um, And in particular, I was hoping that maybe you could start with Rumiko, A Series of Possessions, since it feels very topical to me. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, So this one starts with um, a little... Quote um, from Richard Lloyd Perry's uh, work, Ghosts of the Tsunami. Over the course of last summer, Reverend Kanada exercised 25 spirits from Rumiko Takahashi. All the people who came, Kanada said, um, and each one of the stories they told had some connection with water. One. Yesterday, I became a dog. I didn't want to but it was barking so loudly, I couldn't bear it. Making rice, I opened the door of my body and that starving dog ate. Three men had to hold me down as it entered. It's been three years since I last ate, the dog said, assuming I can translate the dog. The dog thinks in years that the dog feels something like loneliness from that couple who forgot to unchain him when they left. I understood that smell from the local power plant in time overbearing and the silence that followed and the emaciated dog that followed the silence. Two, my wife lives in one of the temporary metal huts on the top of the mountain. After all this time, no one has given her a real home. Does anyone think about the old besides the old? She has a shoebox where she keeps a white rope and strokes it occasionally. I watch her worrying what she might do. Three, when I reached the side of a mountain, I still thought it was good to be alive. I looked down at our city which spun like dirty laundry and realized that there must be many dead people today. Prayed that I didn't know any of them. But when my two daughters were not found, I sought them in a different place. Still, I wander heaven and haven't found them. Have you seen my daughters? Four. Every time I wake from war, I wake up wet with seawater. It's like how, as a girl, i get up from my chair to a ring of blood dripping from me, always following. A thousand spirits wrestle me, pressing, trying to get inside, as if I'm a place of pilgrimage. But what about me tastes so good? When will I find rest? 5. Okasan, okasan. A girl inside me cries. Sometimes she is so young that all she knows to do is cry. Other times she apologizes for letting go of her brother in that always coming big black wave. The priest's wife must grab my hand and say, "Mummy's here. Let's go together. Eventually, the girl says, I can go on my own now. You can let go of me. I let go and wake up relieved, my body light. I remember who I am, a woman about to get married. Six. Each person had eight minutes. I don't know what Kaori was doing, probably in a classroom somewhere with all those children and that water. There must have been a lot of pushing. But what did it matter in the end? There were boats on top of buildings, now so many other parents looking through piles of debris for a familiar jacket, a lunchbox, a haircut. How do I tell Kauri's father about 20,000 bodies at the bottom of the ocean, his daughter perpetually dying inside my mouth? I was not there, but sometimes I see it in dreams, far away, the water. I'll just read a couple other poems from the collection and I tried to um pick a couple that also for the conversation so um hopefully these are ones we can particularly I can kind of launch um some of the things we'll think about thank um, you oh of course yeah um and this one's called Response to the Brother Who Wants to Move In After the Earthquake You are not welcome here you are contaminated you have radiation in your skin You breathed in that nuclear air. You are contaminated. A power plant lives in you now. There's already radiation in your skin and I can't risk you rubbing off on me. You carry that power plant inside you, but we are ganky here and I can't risk you rubbing off on us. We want to live. We are ganky here, but he who mixes with vermilion turns red. I want to live. I don't want to think about Fukushima. Mixed with red ink, anything becomes red. It can't be helped. I don't want to think about Fukushima. There are places for that sort of thing. Shikataganai, you breathed in that nuclear air. There are places for that sort of thing, but you are not welcome here. And this last one is called Town Hall watching the town resurrect. I remain unfixed, mouth filled with birds. My eyes are dusty and split down the middle. My bowels wash in mud. A car rests in my intestines. The dog in my chest just delivered puppies. I've been given many names. Dangerous, abunai. Do not enter tsunami you may have erased my neighbors but still i remain i defy you tsunami i defy you town i will always remember should you mistakenly forget here i stand a new tsunami stone oh man meg
1: (laughs) thank you for choosing that one as well that was on my radar too
2: um
1: Uh so obviously I mean the central event of the, the the poems in this book float into and out of and around is of course the uh the earthquake tsunami and subsequent nuclear disaster that took place in Fukushima 10 years ago in 2011 10 years, 11 12 10 years right yeah that's where we are <laughs> like, yeah, What day is so it weird. Yeah, yeah weird. Yes. Wow
2: it's been that long yeah
1: um there's so much in it that I love just independent of the theme in terms of the way you handle water and fluidity and animals and recurrent characters and things um but I mean what prompted you to write this collection
2: uh so Japan is a very special place to me my father's been working there uh, most of my life um and so i was really grieved um on an intimate level by what was happening um and it was it happened very shortly before i was planning on spending a summer in japan Um, and so i think those those things both weighed on me but i think particularly being in japan um knowing that there was a part of the country completely decimated while simultaneously being in a part of the country that was still functioning as normal, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. I mean, there mm-hmm. were stickers everywhere that were, um, do heart Japan, like don't use as much electricity. So where it's already, you know, people aren't using AC they were using AC less, but besides that, like first world problem, right. Um, there's this dissonance of realizing, um, there's in the, especially in the exact same country, let alone in the same world, that, you know, mm-hmm. that there is um, complete devastation yet we can still move on. Like nothing's happening. And that was, that reality is distressing to me. Um, and especially, you know, being in the States and the news cycle, the only times it came up is when I told people I was going to Japan or I was in Japan, they were like, Oh, oh my sure. God, the yeah, world, like, <laughs> the radiation. And I was like, well, I'm like on the other side of the country. Like it's, it's fine. But like, That was the only time it would come up and then it quickly left the news cycle. And that reality is distressing to me that we can quickly Mm -hmm. move on. And um, I picked that last poem, particularly because of our conversation that you're talking about um, past and present and this idea of, you know, what is the function of being a writer? And um, that idea of a tsunami stone really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Um, People were saying, you know, in these towns that were decimated by the tsunami, generations before had warned don't build mm-hmm. below this point because a tsunami has hit here and about mm-hmm. every hundred years kind of the same with the pandemic every hundred years or so there is um a tsunami that is of a devastating level that hits mm-hmm. about that area japan so if we took the time to listen to the last generation if we took the time to you know heed what history has taught us like that could have been much less severe but people decided to build below that you know. I'm
0: getting so many tingles. listening. I know. To this <laughs> because it just it just feels so relevant to what mm. we're going through now with the yeah. pandemic. And um, you released your book in spring of 2020, which was right when the pandemic hit. I mean, yes. did it feel eerie like that this you know, you're writing a poem about something that people could have predicted and they, you know, They didn't. Mm. And then this very same thing is happening at the same time you're publishing the book. What was that like?
2: It was weird. So um, I read that response to a neighbor because that poem really struck home in a different way with COVID because this came out literally when COVID was starting. my only launch reading that I got to do before um, everything shut down was a reading at a library and not that many people showed up because it was at the point where it's like, do we, do we go? Do we go? Right, right, right. And I read that poem and I was like, this is weird because yeah. there's this fear of contamination and othering of other people yes. you know, um, and division. Um, and so that really, I read that that night and I kind of was like, ooh, this hits in a different way than when I wrote it. And I think one of the first reviewers that um the review was like this reads you know kind of eerie in this time Mm -hmm. of pandemic so yeah um nothing's new under the sun history is cyclical kind of like you guys were saying earlier um so it it is weird of being like this doesn't only relate in that specific context but it relates in so many other contexts that i would have not really thought of when writing the collection Mm -hmm.
1: and yet you know here we are still needing your voice, you know, still needing these poems mm. to stop us and to make us think and try to remember or try to remember what our future will be. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you for doing it. Because, yeah, I mean, it seemed devastating at the time. But as you said, also, you know, another aspect of this is distance Mm -hmm. and we do so easily distance ourselves physically and in time from something that we can't see in front of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so Fukushima is still happening (laughs) right now today to that town, Mm -hmm. you know, just as this weird pandemic thing is still happening, (laughs) obviously, but at different, at a different level all over the place. And it's just, I think we, I think we do need to catalog those nuances
0: somehow. And each time history repeats itself we're like we're going to remember this yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like we don't. I remember
2: um I would see people send emails you know that were like um when we were in like uh, more severe isolation, you know, of like oh, we're gonna hug each other, and we're gonna never take right, things right. for granted. And I was like, we're gonna take things for granted. Like five minutes afterwards yeah I'm already taking I'm things for granted. Yeah, I'm it's gonna take long. No, we're, we're like goldfishes, people. It's to like, yeah. forget <laughs> if it's not right in our. F- I'm a goldfish. Like I am guilty of it. Um, it's just, and I loved everything you guys were saying earlier. I just was like, you guys could just keep talking. Like, oh. I don't have anything to say. Um, but that I, um, yeah, you just had so many uh, things of just how this is human nature and just um, the past and the present kind of intersecting and just, yeah, it's
1: also true. Well, something, I mean, aside from events and and happenings, something else that I love about this collection is that many of them have echoes of or pay homage to or reference other writers, Mm. right? Which, um, you know, a lot of the little beginnings of the poems are are really stand out and that in itself is a way of keeping the past alive and Mm. kind of, Also rewriting it, and there are these like in the first poem that you read, there are these continuous themes of possession and rebirth kind of throughout. And I'm just wondering, how did those other writers speak to you through the process?
2: I think we talk about writing as a solitary journey, but it's such a communal act. Um, I think we we do the literal physical writing typically alone, but we need community. and I think so much of that's being fed by other writers. So I don't think I conscientiously when writing this collection was like, oh, you know, I need to like, uh, I need to proactively do this. It just was naturally happening. Um, like the things to do in um, Higashi Matsushima um, was a prompt that was given in a workshop where it was like, take this idea of things to do in your hometown. Um, and I was like, well, what would that look like, you know, after devastation? So, um, I don't know how to really answer your question. I think it's just, it's a necessary process that we should be constantly fueling ourselves with the work of other writers. And when something, when we can have conversation with that, we should. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just try to not stop myself. And uh, Shintaro Tanakawa is another writer that um, really spoke to me a lot when working on this collection. Um, I took an amazing course at UMD with Michael Collier on translation. And so I got to really dive into his poems and just taking that slowness um, with another poet and how they're, and when you're having to translate word by word, you know, really mm-hmm. think about what the words are doing. Um, it just gives a new appreciation. Um, yeah, following.
1: absolutely. <laughs> Especially with a language that is, you know, so very different mm-hmm. from English. Mm-hmm. If English is your, you know, your first language, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah, it is. But that, like, I think that invites creativity then. Um, a lot of what I did was look at the different translations of how people were taking his words and, you know, how are they, what are they doing similarly? What are they doing differently? Why are they doing it differently? So it really made me have to like zoom into language and appreciate language in a way I had never really mm-hmm. slowed down enough to do before yeah. that exercise. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. I really, I, I love that, uh, that idea. Um, I just wanted to touch on one last thing before we wrap up. Um, you know we can never we write with hope uh but we can never really know the lasting effects that events in the past will have and and when we write them right. <laughs> um in the in the opening poem uh you ask a question can anyone can anyone know what will happen six days from now six hours and i wonder do you think that in some ways that's part of our job as writers to do this to know and to foretell like mm. coming coming full circle
2: yeah you guys- <laughs> question at the beginning and i thought that was an interesting one i was like i feel like i need a week to kind of digest (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because i have feelings with it i don't know if we can we don't i don't know if we can fully predict Mm -hmm. i think like you said when we're paying attention we're gonna see a lot and we're gonna have insight good insight um but I think the best we can do as writers is really warn and exhort. I think that's what I see in my role as, you know, if I'm seeing those patterns, mm-hmm. my responsibility is to use my voice to point out those patterns and encourage all of us as humans, you know, to take responsible action, whatever that might look like for the situation. Um, I don't know if I am insightful enough to predict fully. Um, all I can do is just kind of look at what was before and, warn us and encourage us to you know pay attention to that
0: that's so true um but since you were listening to our conversation earlier did you have a
2: writer in mind when we were talking about what dead writer you would (laughs) (laughs) oh i don't know i think my answer used to always um like my answers have just shifted over time um so, yeah, I'm not quite sure who it, it, I feel like as soon as we like finish this conversation, I'll be like, oh, it's definitely this person. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel like I would just love to talk to so many.
1: <laughs> All of them I'll- in a room. I did think of one. <laughs>
2: okay. Kurt
1: Vonnegut. Yes, oh, so yeah. really Kurt connecting. Yeah, I feel that a little <laughs> bit, <laughs> and I feel like he would have a lot to say about this discussion as oh, well. Totally. Um, but Meg, I I just want to say, as a singular reader, that I I think this collection really does um, achieve that. I think it is both mm-hmm. a warning and a reflection, and a lot of a lot of beauty wrapped up in it too. There are moments of of just really. Real beauty. Um, so thank you for joining us on this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, you can find updates on social media and more of Meg's work online at Meg and buy her book through our authors corner program at Potter's House, our local bookselling partner. Thank you again, Meg, for joining us.
2: Thank you.
0: And check out our website, yeah. Website plug theinterlooplet.org/slash authors corner for Um, author interviews and excerpts and all kinds of cool awesome literary treats uh, regarding Maggie (laughs) and up next stay tuned for whatever future telling plot twist Courtney has in store for us I literally have no idea Welcome back to the Inner
1: Loop Radio. All right. We turn now to your future in a cookie. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I thought it was thematic. <laughs> and also, actually, um, you know, in America, people associate uh, fortune cookies with Chinese culture. But actually, historically, I believe they originated in Japan or the the concept of mm. Uh, look but at you working
0: on many look at levels. that.
1: <laughs> um, but we are where you as humans We're obsessed with finding signs and ways to know the unknown. We've got, you know, uh, palms, tea leaves, stars, all of the above. But I want us to try our hand at writing fortune cookie fortunes. <laughs> Okay, this is a job, an actual job that people have. Is it really? It is a freelance job. Um, I had conflicting resources, but it seems that the going rate is somewhere around seventy-five cents per fortune.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, So
0: we are we doing this rapid fire? We are doing this rapid fire. Yeah, yeah.
1: I will give you a little more background. Wanton Food Inc. is the world's largest manufacturer of fortune cookies and cookie messages. It was established in 1973 and is based in the New York City area. And actually, um, Yang's Fortune Inc. handles just the cutting and they're based in San Francisco and handles the like distribution of those. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, Donald Lau in 2005 was profiled by uh, the New Yorker as Whoa, the president of wonton food. And he was the person actually writing... The Fortunes as president. Um, And he would do them like in between meetings and other duties and they would come to him wherever he could find it. So anyway, since then... The company has brought on freelancers. I believe his daughter also did it for a while. This is
0: shocking because I feel like all fortunes are the same. Like, they're not this diverse that there are this many people working on them. So they have a a
1: database of, like, 5,000 fortunes, right? And so no one right now, like, uh, is on payroll specifically dedicated to them. But uh, his daughter does, like, edit them periodically and will go through and, like, add some. And they do every couple of years hire Several freelancers to create new messages for it says about 15,000. This,
0: yeah, distressing and fascinating. I, I know. know why am I not getting better fortune, so but it's harder than you
1: think <laughs> because people complain like they have to be like child appropriate, uh-huh. you know, like it can't be like you're gonna have hot sex tonight to a five year old, <laughs> <laughs> so Fair. so. Fair. With so like, we
0: have some ground rules in, ground rules in <laughs> mind,
1: <laughs> um, it has to be appropriate for anyone who might open it.
0: Okay, so are we just going round robin? Just, I like, think we should just go. Fire?
1: I don't know. Do do you, do. You, th- this is as far as I got. I was like, we just need to try our hand at writing some fortunes. I think we terms. should do a
0: rapid fire. Okay, if we have time to think, they'll be too clever.
1: Okay, so maybe we we <laughs> we, we we each do like three. Does that sound good? We'll do like three rounds.
0: I yeah, but you don't get to write it down, I don't think. I think you just have
2: to think of it in your head. Can I like write and think at the cause I no. like think by oh, writing. No, if I have to participate in that, I will like literally just like panic. <laughs> I'm like one of those like there's like a fight, flight, or freeze. And me with improv is just like I'm like the animal that just like completely shuts down. The all right,
1: all right, all right, <laughs> okay. all right. So we will take a minute and and write down three and then we can read them off. Does that does that work, Meg?
2: Sure. If, we, gonna... get, if we get a little bit of time to like try and write some down. Then you I
1: have one minute. The clock oh, is now. Go.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so all the pressure is not up.
1: It's so
2: hard.
0: They have to be a certain length because No
2: locked. No,
1: they have to be short. They have to fit on the paper. Okay, I'm starting a countdown. You have ten seconds to finish up, ladies. And five,
0: no, four, <laughs>
1: three, two, one. Fortunes in, please. No. <laughs> Beep. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Too long, Rachel. Too long. Done, done. (laughs) Jeez. All right, Meg. How'd you do over there? One One good one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure any of mine are very good. And (laughs) one of them, one of them, I just basically wrote what my favorite fortune is that I've ever gotten in a fortune Uh, cookie. So that's all writers. That's that is. But I admit it. You know, I'm citing (laughs) my source. It's from that fortune
1: cookie from six years ago. Listen, you're not being a bad art friend.
2: Heyo. Heyo. We pop had to culture um,
1: <laughs> all right meg i'm gonna ask you to go first please okay with one we'll go in right around yeah, robin we'll around. so read one so actually, save your best I think we for last save
2: the best for last yeah. yeah
1: okay
0: the
2: worst
1: okay read your worst first, first
2: meg. um oh i which one is my worst um <laughs> it, i wrote eat pray love at some point <laughs>
0: that's good actually. that's good <laughs> very like apropos I, absolutely on point. on point <laughs> all
2: right, right.
1: <laughs> all right uh my worst one i think is carrots will open doors you can't see
2: Carrots, carrots. I don't. Well,
1: there's always the like worst. random stuff in them, and you're like,
2: "What carrot?" It so I have even, to.
0: I can't even give it deeper meaning than I. Need. I know.
1: I know. <laughs> I'm into it though. Thank it, you. It makes you like what, and it you makes you think. think. It. it makes yeah. you like what? That's right. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> I think my worst one is the last one that I was writing as Courtney was screaming at me. <laughs> I was not screaming. I was gently, con- you know, encouraging. Me. Yes. Um, Look <clears throat> in the mirror and say hello. Oh, okay. It's weird. It's cryptic. You don't know what it's supposed to
1: mean,
2: but. I like it. it though. Yeah. Uh, All right, Meg, number two. Um, Whatever you do, you are enough.
0: Ooh. So encouraging. Girl, you might maybe si-
1: so should sign up for this freelancing <laughs> <think> game. So. <laughs> All right. This one's. I'll save that one. Okay. <laughs> <save> that one. <laughs> the sands of time move lightly beneath your feet.
0: Ooh, I Ooh. like that. Hmm. I like it. I can read into it. I could be like, hmm. It's yeah. thematically on point. Right? Right? Past yeah. and present. That's yeah. what I was trying. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Thanks. I, I, yeah, this I is your, to think what your last one will be. Uh <laughs> Today you are breathing. Hmm
1: that is that is you know hopefully anytime you're reading that it's definitely fortune, true. it's true <laughs> i do love the ones that are just like yes you cannot argue that <laughs> that is right <laughs> it's like with horoscopes where it's like yes that is me and also everyone, everyone else right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Meg, number, what are we? Number three, best finale. one. Here we go.
2: So this is the one I stole because it's my favorite fortune I've ever gotten. All right. And it's, you are the crunchy noodle in the vegetarian salad of life. Yes! Oh, that is
1: so good. <laughs> so good. Wow. Bravo. Thank you for sharing that with uh, us. Of course. That should have been the last one. I so do love a crunchy noodle. a <laughs> <laughs> crunchy
0: salad. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Okay. <clears throat> the past is bright, but the future is light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what it means. <laughs> I was just playing. It's
0: pretty good. It's, it's good. got meaning. It rhymes. Yeah. Feels good.
1: And like light could be like taken multiple ways. Yeah,
0: because bright light. Yeah. And then light, like lightweight.
2: Yes. It's okay. It's, it's be like, okay. yeah, it's the kind of fortune cookie that you spend the time as you t- <laughs> philosophically arguing yes. what it means this is yes. yes. that yeah Excellent. everybody talks that's about that's what i was for going
0: for <laughs> great Rach, right. bring um, us home this is the one i'm going to put in tiny teddy prince of <laughs> right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw her
0: writing a novel
1: over there so
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are becoming a butterfly that will only live one day so enjoy the transition
1: oh do butterflies only live one day yeah I don't think that's true for all species.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) The animal scientists over here criticizing the facts. Who cares about facts? I do like it,
1: though. It's a good message. (laughs) Be the butterfly. Be Be the goldfish.
2: Be (laughs) the (laughs)
1: goldfish. Oh, man. Well, Meg, thank you for uh, for playing playing along here. Of course. that is our show. We're, so, yeah. We'll be back, you know, with we'll when the back. the crystal ball. Officially. Just
0: read it. It will tell you when. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you find out, let us know. Uh, did you know that the Inner Loop has lots of programming for writers in the DC area? <laughs> so much programming. We do readings, retreats,
1: workshops, a summer residency, and more. To read all about it,
0: visit us at the Inner Loop Lit Dot org, where you can also donate to support us in local literature. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit.
1: That's right. You can also, you know, maybe if you want to specify a donation to go toward the Fortune cookie fund yes we will write you one and send it to you we're gonna
0: start our own company for rivalry
1: donate and get a fortune that's my new campaign <laughs> today's episode was produced by me Courtney Sexton our theme music is by Andrew Logan and our technical advisor is James Skinner thanks again to the wonderful Meg Eden for joining us on the show and if you enjoyed today's episode shout it from the rooftops or better yet leave us a review I'm, I'm, keeping, I'm keeping the theme here, such as <laughs> Theater Loop Radio is like a fortune cookie. You might break a tooth getting there, but there's wisdom inside. Hey! <laughs>
0: <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode.
1: Happy writing.
0: Right on.